Today is Tuesday, June 26th. It's time for me to welcome you to Econa Day Unplugged. I am Ann Picker, Econa Day's Chief Economist, and with me are Jeremy Hawkins in London and Mark Pender in the U.S. On Sunday, U.S. time, China's central bank, the People's Bank of China, moved to free up more than $100 billion in reserves to cushion a slowing economy and to mitigate the impact of a potential trade war with the U.S. In its statement on Sunday, the PBOC announced it would reduce the reserve requirement ratio for large commercial banks by a half percentage point, giving them an additional approximately Rimbimbi 500 billion extra to deploy. Reserve cuts for smaller banks are expected to free up an, ex- an additional 200 billion Rimbimbi. The announcement of the cuts, which are scheduled to take f- effect on June 5th, came just as it was reported that the Trump administration had decided to restrict Chinese investments in U.S. companies and startups and in sectors from aerobic aerospace to robotics as it appeared to deploy its latest weapon in escalating the trade war with Beijing. The PBOC, it should be noted, has found more flexibility in affecting policy by changing the reserve requirement ratio rather than using their interest rates to affect policy. Jeremy. Okay, well, I suppose it's all about trade wars at the moment, but uh, as far as the Bank of England is concerned, we saw from last week, it looks as if they're still taking the view that interest rates are more likely to go up than they are to go down. Um, In terms of the BOE MPC then for June, what do we get? Well, there's no change in interest rates, bank rate at 0.5%, or the ceiling on quantitative easing, which is still 445 billion uh, sterling in total. So so that very much is expected. Uh, They also retained a tightening bias, but there was an important, albeit perhaps subtle, shift in their forward guidance. Now, unlike the Fed, uh, the Bank of England have indicated that there won't be any adjustment in terms of quantitative tightening, so reducing the size of their balance sheet. Um, They had had intimated that it wouldn't be until bank rate was around about 2% or so. They've now come out low and said that when you trigger for shrinking the balance sheet is going to be about half a percentage point lower at around 1.5%. So it may not mean that much at the moment, but going forwards, it means that as and when we do start to see quantitative tightening, it's going to come about that much sooner than might otherwise have been the case. Also of note from uh, last week, we saw a surprise vote in the sense that rather than the 7-2 in favour of no change, which is what the market was very much anticipating, is a little bit tighter in at 6-3. And we saw, and this is quite unusual, the, the chief economist Andy Haldane uh, joining the, uh, well, the mega hawks, uh, McCafferty and Saunders, in calling for an increase in interest rates immediately at 25 basis points. That's been seen by the market, probably correctly, as at least increasing the chances that we will see bank rate going up at the next meeting, which will be in August when they get the next quarterly inflation report. But it's still very much a case, I think, of watching the data. It's far too early to assume that that is a done deal. 
I should also mention on with regards to the Bank of England, the um, the replacement for um, Ian McCafferty, who's basically the strongest hawk on the MPC at the moment. His last meeting will be the August one. His replacement, Jonathan Haskell, um, he was addressing the Treasury Select Committee um, on his pre-appointment hearings today. He didn't say too much in terms of what, he's gonna, what he thinks should happen to policy, but he did indicate that he thinks that um, productivity may well be understated. He also suggested that he thinks pay pressures will remain relatively subdued. So put all that lot together, and it certainly suggests he's going to be a good deal less hawkish than the outgoing McCafferty. So that probably means if he had been around last week rather than McCafferty, the vote would have been 7-2 rather than 6-3. So he won't be in until the meeting after August, but certainly once we get there, it means that perhaps policy will be a little bit looser than it might have been otherwise. Um, regards to the Eurozone, I think the main focus for market attention this week will be the EU Leaders Summit on Thursday and Friday. Of course, that was really supposed to be dominated by Brexit, but Brexit's going nowhere in a hurry at the moment. And the UK position paper, which Theresa May was supposed to be presenting, has now been deferred. Rather, the focus is going to be on the thorny issue of migration. Now, differences of opinion between the member governments is certainly nothing new, but I guess they've been highlighted by the arrival of the populist anti-establishment administration in Italy. And now the outcome of what will be a broad-based discussion on what the, uh, the European Union should be doing about the issue, um, that could be particularly important now for Germany as we've got the leader of Chancellor Angela Merkel's coalition partner, the Crystal Social Union. He's also the interior minister, and he's effectively threatened to topple her unless more aggressive rules on asylum and migration are agreed upon. Now, we had an emergency summit called by Merkel on Sunday uh, to discuss the issues, and that failed to come up with any concrete conclusions. So it may just be some politicking from within the coalition, but uh, depending on what comes out this week, Merkel's position could be looking at least a little, pre pe little bit precarious. And that G clearly Jeremy? would be yeah, good news for Euro. Yeah. Oh, this is Mark. I have. Uh, I, sorry to interrupt. Um, I, I, do you see a well? There's a conceptual uh, relationship, I think, here in the U.S. Uh, between the migration or the immigrant issue and also closing um, or uh, protecting uh, trade. Um, and I have a question now with the immigration issues in places like Italy and also places like the UK. Um, did that ever is that ever transposed to the trade issues? A protectionist actual uh, movement to protect trade. Well, it can't really within the Eurozone per se, because part and parcel of being in the Eurozone, you're part of this free market. So there's no barriers to trade. So that effectively can't, from a political angle, it's simply a non-starter in the first place. Now, of course, for the likes of the UK, assuming we, you know, Brexit goes through and we're outside the European Union as of the end of March next year, then yes, it's quite possible. I mean, the UK has already, you know, banged the drum with regards to uh, migration into the UK being too high. It could turn into some kind of mini type of trade war. I don't think either the UK or the rest of the European Union be, would want that to happen because both sides regard free trade as being extremely important you know, to economic growth. But it's something that outside of the European Union, yes, it is very much a possibility. So you can see a separation then between immigrant issues and trade issues? Certainly within the European Union under current rules, yeah, and there's no choice on that. 
Um, okay, let me round off quickly then uh, for a pinch up too much time. In terms of the numbers this week then for the Eurozone, the big one as ever will be inflation. We'll get the flash HICP data for June. That's due on Friday. And that's expected on a headline basis to be 2% on a year on year. That'd be up a tick from last time. But the core rate's expected to go the other way, 1% after 1.1%. Of course, if we get that, then although Mr. Draghi and Cove intimated that quantitative easing is going to end at the end of this year for as far as the ECB in the Eurozone, if the numbers don't live up to our expectations, then who knows? We could still have quantitative easing taking place in the Eurozone in 2019. To also mention quickly, uh, we will get the German uh, flash CPI of a day before um, the, uh, the HICP out of the Eurozone. And we'll also get the Economic Sentiment Index on Thursday, which is one of the ECB's major numbers. So always worth a look at. That's my lot. Thank you, Jeremy. Mark? Oh, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Jeremy's uh, talking about um, uh, the uh, Bank of England and also the ECB and, and the Fed gets in here too, uh, becoming less accommodative or turning more hawkish. This is at a time now um, when we're having these trade issues and these trade issues uh, don't seem to be uh, stimulative. Uh, they wouldn't appear to be stimulative. Um, and I think we're, we're beginning to see a, uh, what could be, if we, uh, in retrospect, the very initial signs of an effect on the uh, manufacturing sector here in the U.S. It's interesting, just in an aside, that uh, uh, President Trump, when he's referring to trade, he hasn't talked about services. Now, service exports uh, are very strong for the U.S. This is um, demand for our managerial, U.S. managerial and U.S. technical skills. It's uh, roughly, let's say, a, about two. Uh, million dollars of trade of exports every month. A third of that is uh, is services. So so far that hasn't been uh, hasn't been brought up in all the lists of, of things that are that are uh, uh, that are penciled in for possible uh, tariffs. But we saw in the Philadelphia Fed um, uh, manufacturing report on Thursday last week a sharp fall off in uh, the rate of growth. Uh, in this index, and this is uh, a very—it's uh, it, very clearly a pivot over the last uh, uh, couple of years or so. This uh, index has been very, very strong since the, the Republican sweep or the Republican victory in 2006, uh, uh, to, uh, 2016. And then on Friday, uh, at market economics uh, manufacturing uh, U.S. sample reported the same thing, and um, and. And the market sample has been uh, the less uh, robust of all the uh, manufacturing samples, uh, whereas Philly Fed has been the mo uh, probably the most robust in the long term. So it's interesting that we see these two uh, uh, forward-looking, uh, even though they're small samples, uh, uh, um, uh, reports offer the same uh, indication. On Monday of this week, yeah, uh, we saw the Dallas Fed. It was mixed. There was very clear slowing. Uh, but not in uh, orders, which is probably understandable uh, for the Texas economy and their exposure to energy and energy prices are, are high right now. Uh, and Richmond Fed, which, which is another regional, uh, uh, regional manufacturing report that came out this morning, Tuesday, um, we, uh, we didn't see this uh, slowing, but, th but this has been, uh, this report
report's been kind of slow all year relative to the other ones. But what we did see in the Richmond Fed report was a spike higher, a, a, a very visible spike higher in input costs. And these are very likely uh, tied to tariffs. Uh, and uh, some of these reports offer uh, commentary on what their sample t- uh, tells them, and some of them don't. Richmond isn't one. But the ones that do, the, the samples are reporting um, disruptions, uh, delays, uh, all tied to uh, primary metals. And these were the tariffs that, that have been put in place for the last several months. Uh, these other ones we're still talking about. But I think that w- what we're, it's possible that what we're going to see initially in the economic data is a slowing uh, in manufacturing um, uh, activity and a rise in prices. And by the way, the Philadelphia Fed uh, report shows an unusual traction in selling prices. Now, this means pass-through, and um, this will eventually pass through out of the manufacturing sector. If it can pass through the distribution system, it'll end up to the consumer. We haven't seen that yet, but that is ultimately the threat. Mm-hmm. And I'd just like to say one other thing about exports. You know, the U.S. exports $2.3 trillion um, a year, and, and with Harley-Davidson making this kind of a shock announcement, really, there's so many... Um, it's an infinitude of possible outcomes uh, and w- when you're uh, dealing with trade like this. And the uh, Harley-Davidson outcome being such a symbol of, um, of, US, uh, of a U.S. Uh, merchandise, of uh, uh, glo- a global demand for U.S. consumer good, uh, Harley-Davidson is right at the very top. And they're, and they're moving outside, production outside the U.S. So... Um, the uh, I, I think the general assumption would be that uh, you would see more production in the U.S. with these tariffs, not less. So uh, it's a very interesting time. It's a very important time to pay attention to your economic indicators. I've got to ask you, Mark, in terms of, you know, Ansri talked about perhaps the PBOC getting a bit worried about impact of uh, trade wars and the like. How much of this is impacting the Fed thinking, do you think, now? Well, the Fed, that's so, you know, Jerome Powell has been walking or has been very cautious on saying, uh, and the other uh, Fed officials as well. And I think maybe that was Janet Yellen's uh, downfall. She went out and she never complained. Uh, but uh, so far, the Fed officials have uh, have been uh, tiptoeing, sidestepping, really, the fundamental issues, uh, and they probably have uh, many or some uh, on the FOMC economists uh, must have very strong opinions on what's going on. We haven't seen those strong opinions being expressed. Um, and uh, perhaps if we do get disruptions or if we get an inversion of the yield curve, the U.S. yield curve with the uh, two-year approaching the 10-year, I think that that would, um, that would uh, almost force their hand to, uh, to really start talking more mm-hmm. frankly about what the possibility is. One quick point, actually, just for, for perhaps for um, and winds it up. You're talking a lot about you know the PMIs and so on. Um, over here, I mean, there's a study undertaken by the Bank of England. I mean, it goes back a few years now, but of note, and particularly with relevance to that, um, the most highly correlated they've indicated they found with uh, global, so world GDP, was the export orders index of the global manufacturing PMI. So I think you know, it, perhaps it highlights the fact that this really is one of the components of the PMI surveys, which is well worthwhile looking at if well, you are starting to get concerned about global growth prospects. Well, that's right. I mean, if, I think it, it, whatever the expectations are for trade, it's not 
an unreasonable assumption to to assume or to guess that there will be a net reduction or a net slowing in global trade. Is that what that uh, index is showing? Well, it's starting to go that way, I think. I think, as you say, it's early days yet, but clearly if things continue to snowball as they are at the moment, that particular index, I think, is going to become one of the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the key instruments or indicators that markets will be watching going forwards. We'll get it on our summary tables. Indeed. Thanks, guys. Until next week. <laughs>